You are listening to the podcast of Grace Bible Church Ann Arbor. We are the rescued people of God joining His Great Restoration Project. More information, including sermons in this series, can be found at graceA2.org. Thanks so much for tuning in. So did anybody have any luck with an actual metal detector anytime in the last couple of weeks? I mean, that's kind of been a theme. If you haven't had an opportunity to join us the last two weeks of our series, uh, Pastor Tyson always opened up with a metal detector story. So we just wanted to make sure that nobody was so inspired that instead of thinking about what you would find, that maybe somebody told a story about what you did find with the metal detector, which specialize in finding things that are just below the surface. You know what I mean? So um, thank you, Reagan, for that. Wonderful introduction that makes me feel old. Um, my, my wife and I, actually, in just a couple of weeks, um, Ella and I will have been part of this GBC family for 15 years, which is really kind of cool. Oh, thank you. Um, but during that time, when, when we started here in 2009 at GBC, we were unquestionably among the younger folks that were part of the congregation, and it was such a blessing to us. You know, we were, we were a young family ourselves. My three kids have really been raised in this church. And we were able to um, just look around and see experience around us. And it was a comfort and it was an encouragement in everything we got to do, right? We would see couples around and we would just watch them and we'd listen to them and we'd talk to them and we'd try to glean from the things that they had experienced, both the good and the bad. And occasionally we would see um, couples from Grace Bible Church around town in Ann Arbor, which isn't actually that big a town, right? So we'd be walking around a park and, and we'd see, see a couple and we'd say, oh, it's so-and-so from, from church. That's going to be us someday. That's going to be us someday. And sometimes we'd be out at a restaurant eating, and we'd see another couple just quietly enjoying their food together, and we'd have one kid under one arm, and we'd be cleaning up spills on the table, and uh, getting rice was always everywhere whenever we went out to eat, right? And thinking about changing a diaper and changing clothes on a kid, and then we'd kind of slump back in our booth, and we'd point over to them again, and we'd go, that's going to be us one day. I hope. I hope. Um, And as we got to talk to people, as we got to experience kind of life from their perspective, it was really kind of cool. Um, Couples that had been married for a really long time and couples that had walked with Jesus for a really long time, um, we heard and we learned that those, those things didn't happen by chance. They hadn't gotten to the place they had been by chance, and they, over time, they made very, very careful choices as to how they were spending time together, Right? They chose very specifically how they would relax together and when and how they would talk together, how they would disagree together, and how they would talk things through and how they would reconcile together. And the stories that we would hear in our first years as a young couple, they they weren't about how those things felt or even what the results of those things were. The stories were all about the choices they made to put themselves in a place for things to work, right? Right? There are habits and practices in our lives which are just so necessary to keep any relationship vital and alive and growing. And we're just so thankful for the years and the examples that God's provided for us here. But it's honestly no different whatsoever in being in relationship with Jesus, right? There are certain habits and there are certain practices that keep that relationship and that connection vital. Um, and we've been talking about some of those things in recent, uh, in recent weeks. This morning is our third part in a short three-part series that we're calling Habits of Grace. And we've been exploring three purposeful habits that Jesus talks about in this spectacular sermon that he gives in Matthew chapter 6, maybe one of his most famous. He's talked about giving. He's talked about praying. And this week, uh, we'll talk about this. He talks about fasting. You know, habits, you tell me. 
Those are three habits that do not develop by chance. You know, it just doesn't happen. But there are three things that foster intimacy and dependence and trust and confidence in relationship with Jesus if we can learn and try to build those things into our lives. So in this sermon that we've been um, reading and, and kind of jumping into together, Tyson talked a little bit about last week. Jesus is setting out this brand new vision for the kingdom of God on earth. And he's just reintroducing these values that are God's values all along that had come back to the people. And Tyson last week did such a great job illustrating that there was a time at which the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth were overlapping and joined, right? Where God had some special physical presence among his people that he created. But because of the decisions of man, because we had decided to go our own way, those things, there was a separation in those things. And the kingdom of heaven existed apart from that kingdom of earth. But then... The person of Jesus Christ came, God as man. And for the first time, we saw a permanent intersection of that kingdom of heaven and that kingdom of earth. And and he became the only way. He called himself the gate, the way into this kingdom of heaven to celebrate. And, And right now, that kingdom of heaven is among us. The kingdom of God is here, and it's still in the process of doing this great work of restoring all things the way God intended them to be. And it's really, I mean, it's amazing. It's an incredible sermon to read. But let me tell you this. Most preaching, it, it really, it's recalling important truths in the most important moments. That, that's what preaching's about. And so when Jesus spoke of things that we're familiar with, right? We're familiar with prayer and giving and fasting. So were the people he was talking to familiar with those things. But like them, like them, we can be really knowledgeable about spiritual matters, without being a particularly spiritually-minded people. And so that's our challenge. That's our challenge in walking with Jesus. And as we begin a new calendar year with so many things to begin, so many things to resume, it's as good a time as any to just kind of recenter, to refocus, and to reconnect on those those things that we want to do to nurture relationship with God through Jesus. So Jesus, uh, as Tyson has reminded us the last three weeks, Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6, it kind of follows this loose pattern, right? We've seen that week after week. When you, don't you, then you. When you do this thing, don't you do it this way because then you'll receive your reward in full right where you are. But when you do it the way God calls you to, then you will receive a reward from heaven, a reward from God. And so I was, I was super excited when Tyson asked me to, to think about fasting for this week, to think about what was going on in our series, um, because I really believe that of those three things, this idea of fasting has the best opportunity in our culture and all t- our time to be the most transformational in our lives and our experience. So let me just pray. God, we're thankful to be here, gathered in your name. We are your people. You are our God, and, and you have made things right and we thank you for that. And um, uh, the truth of the matter is, Lord, I think most of us this morning probably had breakfast and were eagerly anticipating lunch and football snacks later on this afternoon. Um, we just want to stop and pause and honor you for providing all things for us, Lord. But still, would you help us to listen? Would you help us to just have our hearts open to your Holy Spirit as he speaks truth into the lives of each one of us? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can follow along with me on page 811 if you're looking in one of the uh, Bibles in the pews. But we'll be picking up in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 16. And and those verses will also be on the screen uh, at the front. Jesus continues his message on habits. And he says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, 
for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is in secret will reward you. Just like the other habits of grace that we've talked about up till now, when you fast, it kind of, it kind of assumes we do, right? <laughs> when you fast assumes that that's part of our lives already. And I'll confess to you, this is an area in my life that I've, I've been growing in for, like, ever, right? It's not some place where I feel as though I'm, I'm focused and really am, am confident. Um, and it's a habit that's minimized in our culture. It's really minimized in the world around us. Um, Jesus says, don't call attention to yourselves when you fast. Don't make it an outward show. Don't make it about the people around you. Have you ever been um, in a meeting with, with people around you and somebody comes in, maybe it's over breakfast, and they sit down and they just order water or coffee? And you're like, dude, get, some, get something to eat. And they're like, I'm fasting. And sometimes I'm the biggest obstacle. Oh, cancel the food. Send the food back. John's fasting. We're all fasting. I mean, it's ridiculous. We, we call attention to the, to the habits that we do, and we rob other people sometimes of, of the promise that God gives us. But God does say, when we do it the way he calls us to, then we will be rewarded. The thing is, he doesn't really say how. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say how we'll be rewarded right now. And in fact, he doesn't really give us much to go on in terms of how to fast either. If you were here last week, uh, Pastor Ty was talking about when we pray, and um, there was this great example that Jesus gave about how to pray. He uh, is believed to have even quoted from this Amidah prayer that outlines our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He gives us a format, a formula almost, to model our prayers after. We don't get that. It's not here for fasting, and so we have to take a bit of a dive. We've got to go a little deeper. As we do, it's a little bit surprising. Because I learned and I continue to learn, there's almost no direct instruction about fasting in the First Testament. Isn't that amazing? There's almost no direct instruction about how to do it, when to do it, where to do it. In fact, Torah does not even command fasting for the people of the covenant. I guess with one exception, right? With one exception, in Leviticus chapter 16, it's talking about God specifying this day of atonement, the holiest day of the Jewish calendar. And he says, on that day, I want you to afflict your souls as you look back on your life. And many people in the tradition arose that the afflicting of the soul was in fact fasting. But he doesn't even use that word. So most of our understanding of fasting comes from the narrative passages in Scripture that describe the context and all these examples of fasting in the Bible with wonderful people. And so that's where we see this, that fasting is a voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. I think that's a great definition of fasting. Fasting is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Now, in Scripture, as we open the pages of Scripture, we find that fasting always, always is described as abstaining from food. And it takes all sorts of forms and all sorts of examples in Scripture. Sometimes that's eliminating only certain foods from a diet. Think about Daniel in captivity in Babylon. Sometimes people fast in Scripture by foregoing certain meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner, however they ate in that day, but to focus their time on communion with God. There are other examples in Scripture where people would fast for a day or a week or sometimes even longer, up to 40 days. 
so that they could turn their attention to listening and communing with God. There's even one example of a supernatural fast by a guy named Daniel um, where he fasts without food or water for 40 days. Now, it's important to note that any fasting that we undertake has to be done wisely based on our individual health needs and concerns. Otherwise, the focus becomes us again, right? Focus becomes us. And it all has to be done with a spiritual purpose in mind. Skipping lunch and merely carrying on with our day isn't really fasting. So, for, so this morning, I th- what I'd like to do, what I think needs to be our goal, is we're going to extend this principle of fasting. We're going to expand on it just a little bit as we talk about three things. The disruption, the reflection, and the submission of fasting. The disruption, the reflection, and the submission of fasting. Now, first of all, the disruption of fasting is just setting aside what fuels us. Just setting it aside. Now, eating is a normal and necessary part of human existence. We would all agree to that. And I think in our world, especially where we live, we've elevated it to an art form, right? Eating is a big deal, right? We enjoy food. We, en- we enjoy food shows. We really like food shows in our house. One of the latest that we've stumbled upon is a show called Somebody Feed Phil. You guys know that one? It's about this crazy guy that goes all over the world and eats all sorts of food, and it just makes a real production of the things he sees and the people he meets, and food is absolutely celebrated, right? Now, I don't know if you knew we were talking about fasting this morning, but most of us, including me, had breakfast this morning without a thought. It's just part of what we do. And it could be that maybe talking about fasting is kind of like an affliction of the soul for some of us, right? We just don't like to do that. Because I I think... And I hope that not many of us have ever experienced a food scarcity in our lives. We've never had a period of time where we just didn't know where our next meal was coming from. Thank God. But even still, this idea of abstaining from food, it still represents like a disruption of the rhythms of life, doesn't it? Food is just part of the rhythm of life, and when we pass on it, it just disrupts that rhythm. The Bible constantly talks about these examples of fasting as times of disruption and during times of restoration. That's just part of what fasting is. Jesus' listeners, right in that day as he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, they associated fasting with monumental life-changing events, the kind of stuff that we would like buy a commemorative T-shirt for maybe, or we would kind of have a potluck to commemorate big events, they, they would commemorate by fasting, by abstaining from food. Sometimes it was a time of deliverance that they were celebrating, like the deliverance of God's people that we read about in the book of Esther. Sometimes it was a time of devastation that they wanted to mark and remember and set apart from any other day, like the destruction of the temple that we read about in Joel and some of his calls to fasting for that reason. We also read about the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur that we talked about a little bit earlier. But one of our most talked about examples of fasting in Scripture actually happens right before the sermon that we've been reading and studying. We've been in Matthew chapter 6, right in Matthew chapter 4 is one of the most cited examples of fasting anywhere in the Bible. We pick up here in Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, it says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We see in this passage and others that fasting is really a wilderness experience. It's about taking us out of the abundance, taking us to a place maybe that's unfamiliar, and, and just 
submitting ourselves to this period of wanting in our lives. And the Bible contains really big experiential as well as linguistic connections between this idea of wilderness and the Word of God. Closely connected all through Scripture. Think about Exodus, about wilderness and the Word of God. And fasting, as we read through the whole of Scripture, played a huge role in the training and preparation of some of our Bible heroes like Moses and Elijah and Paul because it has some way of breaking hold of our reliance on our physical nature and somehow shaping our perception of the spiritual, kind of breaking the thought patterns of this world and and getting us thinking about things that are higher and greater than ourselves. So we read in this passage that Jesus went out into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days, 40 nights, and Scripture says, not in great revelation at this, and he was hungry, right? Okay, right. Have you fasted? When you fast, you get hungry. That's just kind of the way it is. And, and when, when we fast, we all of a sudden become keenly aware and suddenly appreciative of nourishment, And wherever you go, if you're like me, everywhere around you, everything you look at, everything that you smell, everything you see in front of somebody else is a temptation to take us from where we want to be to where we think our body is taking us, right? And it's a humbling experience, fasting is, and it can be a time of inspiring real gratefulness in our lives too. Um, But while fasting is a theme here in this passage where we read about Jesus, his temptations weren't really about food. The temptations that came at him as he was vulnerable, out in the wilderness, away from everybody else, they weren't really about food. They were about the enticement of the human heart, and they were about the call of the world's desires, the desires to be relevant, to be powerful, and to be spectacular. That's what Jesus faced in the wilderness as he was fasting. And I face those too. Do you face those? The desires to be relevant and and powerful and spectacular? I think we do all the time. And we find in that that anything that turns us away from desiring God, anything in our lives that produces addiction and compulsion inside of us, should be a consideration in fasting. Should be a consideration in fasting. Maybe, Maybe fasting isn't setting aside what fuels us, because God does that. Maybe fasting is setting aside what seems to fuel us, what we think we live on, what we think drives us, so that we can learn and be reminded of our true dependence on God. It's a busy life, you know what I mean? If you're not busy this afternoon, if you don't feel anxiety and pressure this afternoon, my guess is you probably will by the end of the day Monday. Because I think we live in this compulsive, manipulative, power-hungry culture. And we're conditioned all the time to run from present moment to present moment to present moment in pursuit of these experiences or these promises that our lives could be more relevant, more powerful, or more spectacular, right? That's just in us. And then when we achieve a little bit of that, right, the achievement of relevance, power, and the spectacular, then that becomes something that drives us even further. And we want more of it. And it becomes the thing that keeps us going, the thing that fuels us day to day, the things that sometimes makes us so anxious, but we keep going in that direction anyway. It's tough. And it's so true what Jesus observed in in Matthew chapter 4. Man does not live by bread alone, 
But if you're like me, it's really easy to try to live on praise and achievement and busyness and recognition and a full stomach and to let those be the things that keep us going in our life. But every time I do, it always leaves me empty, right? When I'm living like this, and I do, too much, too much, I spend so much time pursuing these things that I live a life of reacting to things around me. I feel like the ball in the pinball machine. Does anybody still know what a pinball machine is? I feel like a ball in a pinball machine that just gets bounced all around, right? It never stops. It's, if it's not moving, it's not real. It's not going. It's fallen down the drain, right? And when I'm trying to manipulate my time and maximize my time to do more things and achieve more, it always leaves me wishing I had more time. And that's a, real, that's a real big red flag in my life, and, and even it's one that I'm experiencing right now. Because time isn't something we get, and time isn't something that we maximize, and time isn't something that we manipulate. Time is God's arena for work in our lives. Time is just God's arena for work in our lives, and how, how much we develop the habit of fasting, of withdrawing to desert places, and listening attentively to the voice of God is really important, really important in that. I, I've been reading a, a fellow named Henry Nouwen. He's since passed uh, to be with Jesus, but uh, um, he said this, the great movement to the spiritual life is from a deaf, non-hearing life to a life of listening. And it's really easy in my life and maybe in all of our lives to be spiritually deaf to be so spiritually deaf that we're not aware of God around us or even of the significant things that are happening in our lives. And I talk to lots of people in the things that I do and, and, and have talked to people that have spent days and weeks, sometimes even months, sometimes years without having experienced the voice of God and without having heard anything from the voice of God. I have never met a single follower of Jesus that hasn't had some period in their life like that. And those all too common periods in my life are, are those, those are the times that I'm fueled by my own pursuits, by the distractions of the world, by the things that call to me and I just kind of follow because I'm, I'm not willing to disrupt rhythms of life enough to listen. What would you like to disrupt in life? I mean, let's be more specific from that than that. What, what will you disrupt what rhythms of your life do you need to disrupt this week in order to develop a habit of listening to God? That takes us to the reflection of fasting. The reflection of fasting is all about identifying what is inside us. Identifying what is already inside us. Um, it's January, Christmas is still a recent memory. Um, I don't know, uh, every, every Thanksgiving I start thinking about Christmas. And every Christmas or every Thanksgiving, I want Christmas to go a little bit differently than it did the year before. You know, I always want Christmas to be more contemplative. I, I want it to be more holy, maybe a little more hallmark. I don't know. But definitely, I want it to be more about Jesus. But then things get busy, right? It's the end of a semester on campus. There's all sorts of things to do. And Christmas very easily becomes this time where I'm like running around like crazy trying to solve the problems of the world avoiding the place where so many of my problems are rooted, which is inside of myself. Fasting doesn't put more inside of us. You're like, duh. <laughs> no, but fasting doesn't put more inside of us. 
Fasting draws something out of us. Fasting is a way for God to draw things out of our life, sometimes just to our attention. I have a friend of mine, I've known him for years, his name is Matt, and some years ago, this is like 20 years ago, um, we worked together in campus ministry, and and he took a one-week-long retreat at a Trappist monastery. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's it's a group of spiritual men in a monastery. They've taken vows, and, and one of the things they do is they minimize talking unless it's absolutely necessary. So my friend Matt went down here to be a part of a one-week-long personal retreat. They gave him an assignment, something to do to contribute to the community, and they showed him to his room, and they left him. No talking for a week. Some people in here are like, no talking for a week? Let's go back to not talking about food for 40 days. I mean, (laughs) come on. How much can we actually be expected to do? And to hear him relate this experience was fascinating. He came back and he told us all about it, right? He said... The first day when that door closed and, and my host left, it began. He said it was some of the loudest times of my entire life. And he said, wait, what? He said, I, my mind would not stop. It was so loud, I couldn't, I couldn't even discern my own thoughts. They came fast and they came hard and they came heavy and it was just, I was pacing and I was thinking and I was wanting to be quiet and I just couldn't. And he went to bed and he woke up the next day and the same thing was going on. It was just echoes of thinking and thoughts and distractions in his mind. And it wasn't until the third, fourth, and even the fifth day where things began to quiet down enough that he could listen attentively enough that he could start to discern specific things that God was trying to put into his mind and put into his life. And I think he started to write things down and pay attention to how things put together and to begin to receive from God in a way that was meaningful to him right? What happens in your life and what happens in your heart when things get quiet? I mean, really, what happens when there's no noise and there's no distraction around you? Sometimes those times are few and far between. A lot of us, I think, are really uncomfortable when that happens and just kind of want to scream. We're not used to quiet. And like ibuprofen for a headache. I mean, we've got medication on hand. Spotify, TikTok, Sermon podcasts. I I threw that in there just so I wouldn't seem like I was TikTok bashing, right? Okay, all right. We've got these things, right? I wonder if things like those have just become spiritual analgesics in our life to ease the pain of quiet and try to make everything just kind of go away, get the symptoms under control so we can just endure the moment, right? We, We generally think about fasting as a practice that looks forward to things, don't we? I mean, I always did. I always thought about, you know, we fast in advance of a decision and we fast in advance of a need, in face of a need, right? Not just as a punctuation point to our prayers, right? Not just like as the kid that's, oh, I'm going to fast and maybe God will do what I want to do. But it's a humbling of ourselves to, to draw out our desires and draw out our thoughts in hopes that something will happen in the future. And the Bible is full of all kinds of examples of that. It's everywhere. I got to confess, this is probably a good time to confess that I did not fast in preparation for this message. (laughs) But I intend to afterwards. I mean, I really do. Because another exercise of fasting in Scripture is fasting for reflection. Fasting to look back, noticing and appreciating things that have already happened in our lives. Places God's already worked and we haven't paid attention. Discerning the meaning of moments and circumstances. Discerning what's on our heart, how our heart and spirit are burdened by the things that have happened. Exposing the lies that just, and the temptations that kind of float just below the surface, like, you know, a spiritual metal detector almost. 
but also it unearths those truths like it did in Jesus' life. Those truths that are buried deep in our hearts for many years sometimes come to the surface to adjust our thinking as well. What's interesting, we already noticed that Jesus' kingdom-defining sermon was preceded by one of these wilderness fasts. But you probably know that right before the wilderness fast was an absolutely monumental, life-changing, world-changing event in Jesus' life too. That's Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. It says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I mean, what an event! I can't think of anything that would have been more spectacular. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit occupying the same space, an intersection of earth and heaven. And that moment drove Jesus into the desert wilderness for a time of reflection. It's really good. There's this concept, and you've heard of it. It's called hangry. Do you guys know hangry? Right? If you've got kids, you know hangry, right? And we've known about, we've seen it in action for years, hangry, but we've only recently labeled it. And I don't know why we came up with the word hangry, maybe to just justify it to ourselves, right? Hangry is when Eric is just getting irritable and grumpy because he hasn't eaten anything, he forgot to pack a lunch, and we either need to get away from this guy or we need to get him a hamburger. Either way, doesn't matter, right? And hangry confuses me because my thought is this, am I more irritable and less patient because I haven't eaten any food? Or is it the fact that when I'm vulnerable like that, that I'm just worse at concealing the, the selfishness and the impatience and the anger that's already in my life? I, which is it, right? There's got to be a better way to reflect than waiting for hangry. There's got to be a better way to get ourselves out of the distractions of the world to see what the Spirit reveals. Fasting doesn't introduce trials and temptations and distractions, but it does have a way of bringing them to our attention. And when Jesus was reflecting on his own coming power, right? I mean, that was amazing, that experience of his baptism. He was confronted with the temptation to pursue his own privilege and purpose or to pursue the ways of God. And it was times in the desert where those came to the surface and he was confronted and he chose God's way because the word of God was hidden in their heart. I'm learning, one of the biggest lessons I'm learning in my life is that our culture makes it very easy to not even know ourselves. Super easy to not even know what's going inside our lives. And so to make space for quiet more often than not, when we do, we don't have a lot of control over what emerges, and sometimes what emerges and comes out of us is surprising. That same fellow I mentioned before, his name is Henry Nowen. Uh, he wrote this. Every morning, alone or in the company of others, I spend at least one hour in quiet prayer and meditation. I say every morning, but there are exceptions. Fatigue, busyness, and preoccupation often serve as arguments for not praying. Yet without this one hour a day for God, my life loses its coherence, and I start experiencing my days as a series of random incidents and accidents rather than divine appointments and encounters. My daily hour with God is not a time of deep prayer in which I contemplate the divine mysteries or feel a special closeness with God. On the contrary, it's full of distractions, inner restlessness, confusion, and boredom. It seldom, if ever, pleases my senses. Even though I do not feel God's love the way I feel a human embrace, even though I do not see a smile like I see a human face, Still, the Lord speaks to me, looks at me, and embraces me there. The way I become aware of God's presence 
is in that remarkable desire to return to the quiet place and be there without any real satisfaction. And I notice, maybe retrospectively, that my days and weeks are different when they're held together by these useless times. God is greater than my sense, greater than my thoughts, greater than my heart. I do believe that God touches me in places that are hidden even to myself. Encouraged by that and his sober assessment of that time, uh, that's something, I'll be honest, I've tried to build into my life over the last few months. Not an hour, (laughs) no, 15 or 20 minutes. First thing in the morning while it's still dark and honestly I have a cup of coffee and I, I, I just sit and I have to say to myself, God, I'm here. I've got this time and I'm just going to sit with you. I know I'm going to be assaulted by a thousand thoughts and a million things to do, but you invited me here and I'm just, I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes. And, and you can do it too and you can't tell yourself that you're too busy or you have better things to do or it seems like a waste of time. Because following Jesus doesn't always call us to dramatic gestures. Sometimes it's the little things. And so maybe some of us are called this week to surrender meals or days of meals to spend time in the wilderness listening and reflecting. Maybe it's as simple as 15 or 20 minutes in the early of the day before anything else starts. Maybe it's when you're driving that you decide not to put on Spotify or a playlist or a podcast, even if it's a sermon, right? If there are kids in the car and you need to turn something on, that might be a better choice for silence, right? But, but you use your judgment, right? And to just be in the presence of God. Where, this week, will you free up more time to waste with Jesus? The submission of fasting. There's a, the submission of fasting, I'll tell you what it is, is surrendering to what saves us. There's a fellow named Richard Foster. He's wrote a million books, but he told this story about being uh, at a camp once with a group of men. They were sitting in a circle, heads bowed. They were praying, but it's relevant to what we're talking about here in fasting. They're trying to be quiet. They're trying to listen. And all of a sudden, this cat comes in the room. And you know what cats do. They start rubbing up against you. They start getting your attention. They paw at things. And everybody, finally, somebody's like, amen. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, the cat, the cat, the cat. It was so distracting, the cat until they look over at one gentleman in the corner and he's just sitting there quietly and they're like, hey, what did you think about the cat? And, and he just says, well, I was just left to wonder what God would like to tell us through the cat. As, as God's Spirit searches our thoughts and we're surprised by what comes to the surface, sometimes we simply need to pray, God, what would you like to teach me through the cat? And where would you like us to go in that together? We don't get to decide what the Spirit brings up. Sometimes it's challenges and trials and distractions. Sometimes there are great joys, like truths from Scripture and, and people that we can reach out to and pray for and, and be with. You know, the, the Jews weren't directed to fast on a frequent basis, but they were called to rest in something called a Sabbath. And there's such a connection between Sabbath and fasting and fasting and grace. And personally, I think fasting is like the quintessential habit of grace because it actually means doing nothing. <laughs> Fasting is like the epitome of Psalm 46:10, where God says, Be still and know that I am God. Know that there's nothing you can do that makes me love you any more, and there's nothing that you can do that makes me love you any less. Fasting, more than anything else, is surrendering to grace. And so as we think about that, and that's a lot. Wow, that's a lot. But we we realize that answering our questions isn't the goal of the spiritual life, right? Getting answers to our questions is not the goal of the spiritual life. Living in the presence of God 
is the goal of our spiritual life. And I really have no doubt that as we grow in appreciation for what's in our heart and grow in appreciation for the heart and the Spirit of God, as we take space in our lives to to say no and enough to so many things around us, as He settles deeper into our lives, that we will walk closer with Him every day. And what seemed to be so important to us, what seemed to occupy our attention, will start to lose the power that it has over us, to lose its influence on our lives and our desire to be relevant and spectacular and powerful becomes unimportant as we move and take on the heart of God. And the words we speak will more consistently be His words and the priorities we align with and make choices by will more be His priorities. They'll be less burdened with me and mine, and time will be not something that's scarce, and schedule won't be something that's frantic. But the real reward will be enjoying time in the presence of God, just like he's offered. God, we're thankful that today we get to, we get to do that. It's an invitation that we don't have to wait for, we don't have to manufacture, we don't have to do anything other than stop and trust you to bring into our lives what you want us to see, what you want us to experience that you would turn our hearts and thoughts to you and your truths as we walk day to day beside Jesus. Thank you, God, for that promise. Amen.